This is the Leaside Lives podcast, episode number 24, and I'm pleased to say Ty Coakley, Cork writer, returns to talk about his latest book, The Game, which is published by Merion Press. You launched uh, book number four. I think you've completed five books in total now, but you launched The Game last week in Waterstones in, in Cork. Um, a really magnificent turnout for the launch. And I think it's a book that it's essentially a journey into the heart of sport. It's a celebration of sport. It's part memoir. It's also tackling uh, darker issues within sport as well. And I, I finished the book last night myself and I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I, I really, really loved it and I couldn't recommend it highly enough. And I mean that. So, Toy, congratulations on the book. And you must be very pleased and excited uh, by the responses you've been getting so far. Uh, thanks very much, Jordan. I really am. Uh, it's amazing, really. Everybody has been so positive about it. And, you know, it's difficult putting a book out there. You don't know how people are going to react to it. And this is a personal book as well. It's not like a book of fiction. So it's a memoir. So that's difficult as well because... You know, people are reading things about you that, you know, I'm not a very extrovert person. So, but people have been fantastic. And the launch was amazing in, in Waterstones. There was a great crowd. Thanks to you for coming along as well. Uh, I'm thrilled. It was a pleasure to be there, Ty, and it's, it's a book now that I'm going to be recommending widely to people, whether um whether I know them or not, whether they're in the library or the or the local bookstore wherever i see them I, I think it's a book that's going to get a lot of people talking as well about sport and the relationship with sport how they consume sport i was out walking the dog last night um near the lock area and met a local man and he said he, he was loving Tig's new book as well so i think it's a book for obviously for sports fans but non, non-sports fans as well what struck me about it Tig, as well as being a great writer you're actually a very decent sports person too. Like, I mean, I'm so slightly envious of your career, um, even though it ended quite quite early. But um, I think a lot of people would, would kill for the type of career you had as an athlete. Well, I was very lucky uh, in, in three instances, especially uh, in my school, St. Coleman's College, for my Wonder Harty Cup and Croke All-Ireland Cup in 1977 and I I made it onto the team for the final of the All-Ireland against St. Cairns Kilkenny so you know a lot of better hurlers played in Coleman's and they never won anything and then in 1979 I was on the Cork minor team and we won the All-Ireland and we had great hurlers like we Kevin Hennessy, Tony O'Sullivan, Jerk Cunningham those kind of people as well and then when I went to UCC we had uh, Father Michael O'Brien coaching us, and he was an amazing coach. And we had horrors like uh, Nicky English, John Granger, Paul O'Connor, Jim Murray, and we won four Fitzgibbon Cups in a row when I was there. They went down to eight in a row, which has never been done before or since. So I was very lucky in terms of winning things. And I loved playing soccer as well. I played for Mali United, and we mostly played junior soccer but in my last year we went to the Munster Senior League so we had a lot of success at junior we won leagues and cups and so on so I was uh, we had a great team as well that time so I was very lucky you know a lot of players dominating and um, but I enjoyed it all and uh, yeah it, it was a big part of my life especially when I was young. And I think another thing that's evident in the book is that you have plenty of uh, battle scars to show for your time as a player. I was lucky with concussion, which I write about in one of the essays. I have two essays about heart, uh, called Heart 1 and Heart 2. 
And I was very lucky. I never got a concussion that I know of. But, I, you know, I had kind of injuries, hamstring, a lot of hamstring injuries towards the end of my career. And I got a very bad kidney injury. I got a blow into the, my back when I was 24 and I had to go to hospital. And there was a question at a time that I could lose the kidney. So I write about that in, in, in the book as well. And my big concern was, if I lose the kidney, I can't ever play again. <laughs> you know, the priorities are terrible. But my mother and father got a terrible fright at the time. But all's well, that ends well. I didn't lose the kidney. I was in the hospital for 10 days in the renal ward. Uh, but I was able to keep the kidney and I went back playing the following season. So I was lucky overall, to be honest. It's obviously a reflection of your life in sport so far. It's a celebration of sport. But you, you tackle the dark side of sport as well. I mean, reading the book, it makes me think twice about going out to buy a Man United jersey or, you know, fulfilling my dream of getting to a World Cup or a European Championship as a fan. I think it'll make a lot of readers question how they consume sport. Like, is that kind of what you're, you're hoping? Yeah, it was really, Jordan. I mean, two things really is how we behave, how we... We give uh, sport too much uh, emphasis uh, on the one hand, but on the other hand, we get so much from it. And it's only when we feel the emotion at big moments in sport that we really understand how much means to us. But on the other hand, then, you know, we let our anger, you know, there are dark side and dark passions uh, involved in sport where you hear chanting and various kind of things that happen in sport, which are wrong. And, um, the other thing then is, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about sports washing at the moment, especially in relation to the uh, Live League, the Saudi Arabian Professional Golf League at the moment. And that is sports washing. And I won't watch that. I certainly won't watch it. I can't justify the kind of money, the greed. And also, you know, the way Saudi Arabia, its human rights record is completely wrong. They murdered Jamal Khashoggi, and they've never investigated that properly. They've never given his body back to his family. They dismembered his body. And, you know, when you hear professional golfers, millionaires, apologizing for that, oh, say, did they make a mistake and so on? Sorry, no, you, you can't justify that. And the other problem I have is with the Qatar World Cup coming up later this year. You know, that sports washing as well. And there's so many, I mean, they estimate that 4,000 migrant workers died in the building of the stadiums and the infrastructure for that. And I can't justify that either. You know, I love sport. I be, have been watching World Cup since 1970, but I can't in all good conscience watch this one. And, and that's sad, really. I'm sad about that. But uh, I, we have to think about, I think, the good and the bad in sport and, you know, the sexism in sport. We have to call it out, the kind of homophobia in men's sport and so on. We have to talk about these things and we have to educate young people, especially, you know, that they will be better than us, that they will behave kind of better than us in the next generation. And that's one of the things I wanted to get uh, across in the book. Well, it certainly comes across uh, very strongly, Tyg, and I guess sports, it still has a lot of, of goodness to offer, and it's fitting, I suppose, that we're speaking the day after Ireland played Ukraine at a time when Ukraine continues to be bombarded by by the Russian army. Um, last night, despite the fact that Ukraine beat us in the Aviva Stadium, 
you couldn't help but be moved, I think, by the scenes at full time of the Ukrainian fans, three and a half thousand in Dublin. It was magic, wasn't it? It was really. And I kind of felt it was coming because I um, I read once a description by Karl Ove about a game in Norway not long after the massacre of a lot of young people in Otoya Island. And he said, that, you know, the sound of the crowd after that game, because, of course, they were thinking about all those people who died and all the Ukrainian fans when the players came out last night in the flags, in the yellow and blue flags, how much it, that meant to all the Ukrainian people in Ireland at the game or watching on. You know, they're in an existential struggle at the moment for their identity. According to Putin, there's no country, Ukraine. They don't exist. And, you know, that football can bring us that kind of togetherness and that joy. I mean, and you know, I know the emotion there wasn't really about football, but it's brought out by sport as well and how much sport can bring us together and a share of communality because there was such joy. I mean, there was mixed emotions, obviously. They were thinking of all the people at home and the people they've lost and the fact that they're refugees from a war. But it was brought to us by by sport, and uh, that was wonderful. It was an amazing moment, really. I think the book, for me, it's an absolute masterpiece, the game, and... I've read two sports books now within the last 12 months. Both are masterpieces and I think both are compulsive, compulsory reading for sports fans, non-sports fans. And I think family who may have kids involved in sports, number one is yours, the game. Number two, and I'm not sure if you've read it yet, but it's Tris Dixon's book on boxing, on brain trauma and boxing. It's called Damaged. That's another book I think that will have a profound impact on, on the sport of boxing going forward. He talks about the which you talk about as well in, in game, the game, because I was, I was reminded of Tris's book in your own book, you know, about how boxers, American football players, suffer long-term as a result of, of head injuries. It makes difficult reading, but it, but it's an important point as well, I think. Um, researching that must have been difficult as well, Ty, because there's so many sad stories with these great athletes who've retired, and, you know, sadly, their their quality of life goes downhill, doesn't it? It does really, and you know, our sports organizations like the NFL uh, have to do better as well. Because when this issue came up about uh, you know brain traumas and so on, um, uh, they denied this and they fought against it and they pushed back against it. And in fairness to rugby, you now they have they have kind of protocols in place. They're looking after players a lot better. I think the the soccer organizations have to look at the effects of heading as well, especially in young people. In, 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 in And, you know, another thing we have to look at is the mental health of players and former players as well. And all sports organizations have to tackle that, too, because, you know, they've, stud, they, they've studied former professional footballers and, and other sports people. And, you know, when they can't play anymore, a lot of them fall off a cliff and become involved in addiction to alcohol or gambling or other issues as well. And these organizations like FIFA, the rugby organizations, NFL, they have a lot of money. They really have to put in the welfare, uh, mental and physical of the players. Otherwise, they lose it. You know, people won't let their kids play American football or rugby or other kind of sports as well unless they're looked after 
And I think we have to talk about that too. While still enjoying the, you know, I, 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 I make the argument there was a writer who kind of said there shouldn't be any uh, contact sports anymore. And I can't agree with that. But when we have contact in sports, um, we have to look after the people who get injured and prevent as much, especially with children. We have to prevent those kind of injuries. Apologies, my dog barking in the background there. I'm reminded of Faust, your own dog, who's mentioned in the book. <laughs> but um, you mentioned tackling the, the darker side of sport there, but there are some really lovely moments in it as well, especially like the book starts and ends with you as a young kid kicking a ball around your house on the Cork Road in Mallow. I suppose little did that young, you know, 10-year-old know that he'd be writing a book about it in years to come. Like it must be a, a special feeling, Tyg. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's only when I thought about those things, Jordan, and that I realised how lucky I was. And, uh, you know, my family were very interested in sport. My parents, you know, allowed me to, uh, you know, follow my passion, playing uh, soccer and hurling, growing up uh, in the clubs and everything. And, you know, my they dro- drove me to training sessions when I was on the Cork minor team. You know, they dropped me to matches and, and various things as well. I was very lucky. And it's amazing now that when people are reading about the game, and that's the game that the book gets its title from, how many people have said to me, oh, I played a game like that. I poked a ball against the wall. Or we had a game where you got so many points if you do this. Or we had races around the house. Or... You know, we had games, you know, with jumpers for goals and all those kind of things. And it's amazing how much people remember them. And I played, you know, I played sport for a long time and I followed games for a long time. But I couldn't believe when I was writing about this game how vividly I remembered it. Because, uh, you know, as you know, in the book, there was a lot of big games I played and I don't remember them at all. I don't remember, you know, the All-Ireland final uh, much at all that I played in Croke Park, uh, other big games. I found out lately that um, I played a game against Cork City in 1986 in, in Turner's Cross. And I played a few games in Turner's Cross, but that's the only time I ever played against Cork City. And I've no memory of it. So it's amazing that I can remember the game so so well now, my childhood game. But I'm really glad I can. And I could write about it. And so I opened the, the book with that and I finished the book with it as well. No, it definitely evoked a lot of those kind of memories for me as well of, of growing up and kicking around the ball in, in the park or whatever. I know a couple of my mates, we used to play a game called Davy Fitz, as in like there was a, <laughs> there was a, a tree I think a, a signpost on a green area in the Ryan Park area of y'all. The person in goal was Davy Fitz, even though we were playing soccer. Don't ask me why, but that was the name we give to the game and the goalkeeper. One would cross in and the other guy would finish, and we had lives or something like that. But it was, uh, it was brilliant. And you mentioned uh, jumpers for goalposts there. I, I hope jumpers for goalposts. I hope that still happens today. Obviously, there's lots of distractions, even more distractions now. Like, but. One thing I think that's missing a lot now is like we played a lot on the street and now parents are nervous of their kids kind of getting injured and so on or cars coming along and, you know, there are kind of issues to do with the safety of kids on the street now that uh, there were never when we were growing up. But if they can get to a pitch or a bit of grass or whatever, it doesn't really matter what they, where they play and it doesn't matter what sport they play. I happen to play soccer and hurling, but I think... 
children being involved in any sport, no matter what it is, including boxing, you know, which can be dangerous, or cycling or swimming, it doesn't really matter at all because the people who get involved in sport, I mean, children learn so much from sport. They learn discipline. They learn focus. They learn about preparing properly. They learn about um, networking skills, how to get on with other kind of people. And these are really important skills, especially because so many kids now are stuck on screens all the time and they wouldn't have those kind of skills. And sport gives them that, no matter what sport it is. And they'll have those for life and they'll build up relationships with friends, with family members, with their parents and so on. And and they'll have that forever. So, you know, while I do talk about the dark side of sport, it gives us so much, children especially, it gives them so much. It really does. And you think of like the magical sports moments we've had to enjoy. I mean, the, what's rare is wonderful, but as, as Irish people, we have had some magical moments. I'm just thinking over the last 20 years now, the Robbie Keane goal against Germany in the World Cup in 02, following Katie Taylor, obviously, and Kelly Harrington at the Olympics, Sam Bennett winning green on the Champs-Élysées in the Tour de France, things like that. That's the real magic of sport. But from time to time, as you say in the book, Tyke, you do get pissed off or fed up with it. And you went on a sports diet, I think, during lockdown in a kind of a a move that was, uh, I don't know, something like uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan-esque, maybe just sick of the sport and taking a break for a while. But um, I was interested to, see, to learn that it was actually an FA Cup final that maybe reignited the spark within you. That's right. And it was, uh, it was a game between Arsenal and Chelsea uh, that in the 1st of August uh, 2020, I guess. And it was the first game I'd watched in about six or eight months for various reasons to do with lockdown and to do with, uh, you know, I was living at home at the time. We were renovating our house, so I didn't have a TV. And I just went in to watch the game and there was no fans at the game, which was very strange, obviously, in Wembley. Uh, but I, no, I had been thinking about sport a lot, writing the first draft of this book which I kind of wrote in 2019. And then I said, look, I'll take a break from it and I'll finish a crime novel. And I was working on another book as well. And then when I watched the game, I couldn't believe how engrossed I was with the game. Not emotionally so much in caring who won or anything, but as how the players could do the things that they could do so quickly, so amazingly. And... You know, I describe in a lot of detail in one essay called My Coronavirus Comeback, uh, a small move at the beginning of the game between two Arsenal players and one of the Chelsea defenders. And I couldn't believe how beautiful it was and how moved I was by football, which is my favourite sport, you know, to watch. It, it's the game I loved all, all my life since I saw George Best when I was seven years old. And it was a great feeling. And I said, OK. And, you know, uh, I met a poet lately at a, a book launch. And he's a wise old poet. And he said, Ty, you have a book coming out? I says, I do. And he said, what's it about? I said, it's about sport. And I said, that's me. It finished with sport then. I, I'm never going to write it up again. And he looked at me and he said, Ty, it's not that simple. We're doing this conversation on, on Zoom, Ty. And I noticed the hurley in the background there and... You mentioned you love football or soccer, as some of us call it. How did you find managing playing the two at, at the same time, like hurling and soccer? Because I know I've spoken to people of that generation who were banished from the 
the local GA grounds for playing soccer. <laughs> How was it for you? What was your experience like? Uh, it was good overall, really. You know, um, I mostly played uh, soccer in the winter and uh, hurling in the summer from my hometown. Now, when it did become difficult, when I was playing Fitzgibbon Cup in UCC, and that's kind of around February, the finals usually happen. So there was, I did have to miss a few soccer matches there because that was a big championship. But the, the soccer club were very understanding and the GA club too. And one of the great things was when I came back to hurling, let's say in May or whatever, you know, when the championship would start, I was extremely fit because I was playing soccer all winter. And they appreciated that I was fitter than any of the other fellas. Um, and, you know, I never had any kind of... One guy said to me one night in a pub, well, he said two things. He said, we lost a match, right, Mallow? And he said he had 200 pounds bet on the match. And he says, I won't repeat the language, he said, but... Uh, he said, how could you lose that match? I lost 200 pounds. And that was his problem. It wasn't our problem. And then he said, and what are you doing playing that garrison game? Which is a, a, an old expression for soccer because it's an English game originally. And it was the only time really, and I took no notice of him. And none of the people who mattered to me in the J club ever said anything to me about that. Yeah. So, and I would, I would, I would always encourage kids to play as many sports as they can. Uh, as often as they can and you know if you have to give up one if there's too many fine play the ones you prefer the best and enjoy I'm reminded of that terrific short story that I think I talk about in every interview these days Prozinecki Adrian Duncan but that that moment when you run your sports diet and you, you notice the beauty of the Arsenal Chelsea game uh, that FA Cup final Prozinecki Adrian Duncan's short story sprang to mind there um, I know that's a piece that you mention as well in the book um, in terms of further reading and how it's probably influenced your writing as well but if people haven't read it yet they're in for a treat Prozinecki it's well worth checking out isn't it it is really uh, it was published originally by the Stinging Fly magazine and then it, it was in uh, his book um, Midfield Dynamo wasn't it Midfield Dynamo, exactly. And uh, it's a great short story and it captures so much of the essence of sport, the intensity, the kind of hopes, the loss, because he realises at this moment. And it's a kind of stolen moment in a, in, in a, in a soccer match um, where the goalie is injured and he's, he sees someone in the crowd uh, who kind of who saw the, the talent in a minute at the beginning and he reflects a lot on, and he realises he's never going to be the player. He's coming towards the end of his career that he always hoped he would be and that he would never be recognised afterwards, uh, which was a dream of his. Oh, that's so-and-so. Uh, he's never named in the story as well. And one of the most amazing things about the story, and you can do this very much in short stories, I think, rather than novels, is that Adrian kind of suspends time. Mm. You know, there's a moment, and all this happens in a moment. And um, that happens in sport too. I mean, it happens in very good literature. It happens in music, uh, art, but it happens in sport. And... Jürgen Klopp, who's a manager I admire and a person I admire very much, always talks about the moment, the moment in sport. And in a way, 
in these big intense moments. And this is probably one of the reasons I, I can't remember a lot of the games I've played in. We're at such a level of intensity and we're low, so lost in the moment that we almost suspend time. And I speak about two versions of time in the book, uh, Kairos and Kronos, that the ancient Greeks refer to. And Kronos is ordinary type. You know, when we're going for a walk or doing our job or whatever, doing around the house. And then Kairos are these immense um, big moments in our lives that we never forget. And, you know, they they kind of suspend. They're kind of almost outside time magically. And that happens in Prozaneki, I think. And Adrian Duncan, he's a brilliant writer. And when I read that, I thought, oh, my God. This is how sports should be written about. Yeah. It's inspirational, really. Did Did you see something of yourself in not in Robert Prozinetsky, no, but in the character that's in the story called Prozinetsky? Well, I did because I read about this. There was an essay there called um, "Losing the Anonymous Subsoil," and <clears throat> in a way, you know, sport is full of contradictions. One contradiction is that sport. Is playing it right? It's a game. It's not real. It's not important at all. But we have to make it important for us to to count really. And if you think like the game um, Ireland and Ukraine, for example, that was a kind of nothing game really in a nothing kind of a tournament. It didn't really matter. It meant nothing, but it also meant everything at the same time. And you know because we want sport so much in our lives and we inhabit so, so much of our time in, in sport, there's a danger it can actually mean too much to us and we can be damaged then when we stop playing, for example. And I tell a story in the book about a man I met who never recovered from not being able to play hurling or football anymore and he had a mental breakdown and you know, he was in a bad way, really. He His mental health really suffered. And while we, in those big moments, and, you know, that was a big moment, that national anthem in the Irish-Ukraine match, while we want to enjoy those and feel that emotion, we also have to step back and say, you know, at some level, it's only a game. Moving away from sport, it's obviously a busy time for yourself, an exciting time because this month is also National Crime Reading Month and yourself and Catherine Corwin uh, co-hosted a lovely event at, at City Library last week talking about your favourite crime novels, crime writing in general. Whatever It Takes was the One City, One Book two years ago. Um, I believe the follow-up featuring Collins again is almost ready to go, is it? It is really. I'm, I'm determined I'm going to meet the deadline of the end of June and send it off to Mercia Press. And they tell me it will be coming out in the spring of 2023. So um, there's a few kind of, I mean, I have a few drafts of it written and I'm editing at the moment, changing a few of the timelines. And, uh, you know, 90% or 90% of writing is fixing the stuff that you've written already that you made a mess of. And that's I'm fine with that. I actually enjoy the editing process. Some writers don't they want to be composing new material all the time, but I don't. Uh, so, yeah, fingers crossed, Collins, he, he, there's two kind of cases. I won't say a whole lot about it now, but there's a murder in Cork, and then there's a kind of a drug um 
situation in West Cork. And Collins is from West Cork originally, so he goes back down to West Cork and re- revisits his roots. And that's what the book is about as well, yeah. Can't wait for a tiger. I mean, it's a really exciting thing, I think, given there are so many fine crime writers living and writing out of Cork at the moment. Yourself, Catherine Corwin, Kevin Doyle, Amy Cronin, Michelle Dunn, to name a few. I think even I was reading during the week that Graham Masterton, the British crime writer, I think he lived or does live or has lived in Cork at some point and he's featured Cork. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's such a strong crime writing tradition in Cork? It goes in cycles, but I mean, the very exciting thing, I think, at the moment is there's so many women crime writers, brilliant mm. women crime writers in Ireland, and we just happen to have, you know, uh, many of them in Cork at the moment. And of course, Catherine Ryan Howard is probably the most famous and the most prolific of all the crime writers in Cork. She's absolutely brilliant. Yes. And I think, you know, and I mentioned this the other night in the library, Henning Mankell said, you know, while, okay, we have readers and everything, the novel, the story, the novel form will never kind of leave us. And crime writing is very popular, obviously, and it's popular for women and men. Um, and allow me that last, because it's a way of, of telling stories as well with the good location, good characters, good voices good plots, hopefully, and uh, a resolution usually at the end. And, yeah, I'm very lucky to be part of that kind of movement in Cork at the moment. And all the writers are so supportive of each other, read each other's works, help them and support them, you know, and, and they're all a great bunch of people, really. I'm very proud to be one of them. You're kind of the equivalent to, um, you're like Ireland's Joe Nesbo, really, Tyke. He had a sporting background as well, I think, before he went into crime writing, didn't he? I know, I know but he's an amazing man altogether. He was a stockbroker. He was uh, he was a band. He was in the band. He, I think he was a professional footballer, which I never was, uh, but... He's great altogether, and his uh, his character Harry Hola is one of the best uh, crime characters uh, ever. And of course, he's a big. I think he's a big Spurs fan. If I'm yes. right, I could be wrong. I believe so. I think he played with Spurs actually briefly. I think. Um, okay, so and Harry Hope is a big Spurs fan as well. So. There's one scene in one of the drug deals or something, and of course the drug dealer is wearing an Arsenal shirt. <laughs> and uh, Tim McGone, Tim McGone, another crime writer who's based in Mexico, in one of his books, he's a big Liverpool supporter, and one of the narcos arrives in, and he has MUFC tat- tattooed on his knuckles. I said, Tim, that's the good one. And I I wanted to break that kind of mold, so I have Tim Collins as a Liverpool supporter, not a United supporter. So I wanted to do something different there. <laughs> Very good. Listen, Ty, before I leave you go, um, what is it you're reading at the moment? I've just finished Trespasses by Louise Kennedy. Oh, my God, it's an amazing book. And, you know, I thought, OK, a book about a younger woman having an affair with an older man, a married man. We've We've had that before. We had it in conversations with friends and lots of other books as well but she really pulls it off especially the time and the location in the north you know and the troubles because I remember that very very well that time you know when people were being killed uh, every day and she's absolutely brilliant on that 
I'm, um, I've just finished as well All Around the Echo by Danny Denton, and it's a brilliant book altogether. It's so inventive. It's so interesting. It's so f- ambitious in, in its form, especially, and in the way that he pr- approaches the kind of characters. I really enjoyed it. And at the same time, it captures so much of Cork, the way we speak, the way we address each other, the kind of community of Cork, especially the city of Cork. I can't admire it enough, really. It's 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 a brilliant achievement. Nice one, I can't wait to read that one. Listen, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks a million for your time and thank you so much for producing uh, what is such a mar- magnificent book in the game, Tyg. And um, I hope people, you know, both near and afar will will realise its its importance and its beauty. Thank you very much and, and continued success to you. Uh, thanks, John. I really appreciate that. Thanks a million for having me on the show.